lot of times people feel that, oh, I'm not ready or I'm feeling um, like I need to learn more or I'm not quite at the point where I want to jump in yet. And I don't really believe in that philosophy. I really believe that if you feel like it's something you would like to try or like to do, you have to go after it as aggressively as possible because you just never know. You're listening to the Unstoppable Business Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lee. So today we have Andrew Scrivani join with us. He's been the primary food photographer for the New York Times food section since 2002. He has taken his skills to creating TV spots as well as print campaigns for Oprah's Oh That's Good, Lean Cuisine, Bumblebee, and the New York Times. He is also the author of That Photo Makes Me Hungry from Countryman Books. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, um, Andrew, if I was a friend growing up with you, what would I say about you? Wow. Um, as a young man, uh, I was really um, kind of one, I had basically um, a one-track mind, which was baseball all the time uh, when I okay. was young. <clears throat> I was pretty active. I did a lot of sports, but I think my friends uh, would have basically talked about me in terms of being really competitive. I was super competitive and uh, I've learned to channel that in different ways at this point in my life, but I'm still pretty competitive. Mm, Gotcha. Okay. So did that love for baseball sort of um, like, how did that evolve throughout the years when you're growing up? Yeah, um, it was something I did with my dad, uh, who was also uh, loved baseball. And we, to this day, I mean, that's how we communicate quite often about baseball. Um, He used to take me down to the field with him when I was a little boy and he was playing because my dad is relatively young compared to my age. Um, So uh, I got the love of it then. Uh, I realized I was pretty good at it when I was pretty young. And then I played competitively uh, all the way through college and then into adulthood in these sort of semi-pro sandlot leagues. So it was something that was, and then I was a coach. I coached a varsity baseball team for high school for many years. So it was a very big part of my life from the time I was really little. Um, But then once your body starts to tell you baseball's not really going to work anymore, you (laughs) find some new new outlets, which I have done in the the intervening years. Ah, gotcha. And when did you uh, discover sort of photography? Well, I have um, a very good friend who I met my senior year in high school. His name is Joe Fornabayo. He's currently um, a photo editor at the Wall Street Journal. And Joe was a photo student at School of Visual Arts. Um, I went to school across the street at Baruch College, right over in the Chelsea, uh, Chelsea sort of uh, 23rd Street area um, mm-hmm. in Manhattan. And I spent a lot of time on that campus with him, hanging out, going to studios, learning about photography. And it wasn't until uh, I was in my late 20s that I really started to think about photography seriously as an amateur. And then uh, in my early 30s, I started to think about it professionally and I got a few um, opportunities, primarily based on the fact that I knew a lot of photographers and I knew a lot of people in photo because of Joe. And then um, I ended up getting a few um, breaks by getting some assignments with the Times they learned that I knew how to cook. 
Uh, so I mm-hmm. started cooking the food and photographing it. And that's sort wow. of at the beginning of the way yeah. the food section sort of going to evolve into what it is now. Ah, uh, gotcha. So before you stepped in, how did that food section look like? Well, I think even when I first was there, the food section wasn't really a big focus of the paper in terms of visuals. Um, the recipes yeah. were clearly, and the stories were clearly the the point of it. But there was a photo editor there who had come out of uh, magazine culture who really wanted to make it look better. And she yeah. started hiring photographers and then got, you know, sort of the blessing of Sam Sifton at that point when he was in his first sort of uh, round of being the editor of the section to basically up the, up the ante visually. <clears throat> and uh, I got to grow into the role. I mean, I think I wasn't as good a photographer clearly at the beginning of my career as I became later. But um, mm. it was an opportunity to sort of grow with the section. And I think as the section grew visually, uh, I got better. And then uh, I was doing such a huge volume of work in the, in the early 210s, 2010s, and into that, in the middle of that decade, um, I was putting out just a tremendous amount of volume of content. And I think that was sort of the thing that got people to recognize who I was and what I did. Mm, gotcha. So, I mean, did you sort of bring that competitiveness to uh, photography as well? Like the same sort of competitiveness <laughs> you had? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. How did uh, that absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. I, um, I think that I, I bring a competitiveness. Yes. Uh, I, I think it's a friendly competitiveness. I don't, um, uh-huh. obviously in, in, in the subsequent years, I have become a teacher of photography and I do a lot of online instruction. So I have right. never been shy about sharing what I know about photography because I think ultimately it was like being a coach in baseball, right? Is that you coach mm-hmm. people to bring the level of everybody up. Um, not necessarily because you want to hold anybody down that you withhold any information. So yes, I'm very competitive with other photographers, but I'm also really friendly with a lot of other photographers. So uh, you have to go into any creative um, endeavor with somewhat of a delusional bit of self-confidence, right? Is that you have to kind of be a little bit delusional (laughs) to think that you're better Uh than everyone else when there's so many great people out there. But I think right. that's the thing that sustains you as an artist is that you have to believe that what you're doing is great. Mm-hmm. And um, once you kind of get over the, the hump and you start to believe in yourself and you believe in what you're doing, uh, and I think being a competitive athlete helped me in that way, is that you have to step on the field thinking you're better than the other player or else you're not mm-hmm. going to succeed. And I think I take that with me into everything I do. I mean, I you know, before you started rolling, we were talking a little bit about the fact that I surf. And I think people who watch me surf probably think I'm crazy because Mm -hmm. I'm literally competing with myself. You know, like if I'm paddling for a wave and I don't make the wave and I slam my hands down on my board because I'm frustrated that I didn't catch the wave. And it's sort of like, (laughs) this is supposed to be relaxing. What is wrong with you, you know? And uh, the thing is, yeah. is I'm competitive even with myself. It's like I want to achieve at a higher level. And, um, you know, surfing has been a challenge because it's I'm 51 years old and I'm out right. there and there's these little guys, you know, who are half my size and a third of my age and I'm trying to surf the way they surf. So it's sort of, you know, you have to just keep believing that you can do it. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what, what are 
like uh, advice that you can sort of give to people who are sort of finding their paths in life? Because, you know, for, for instance, food photography, um, that seems to be very niche. You know, it seems to be something that you fell into because you were cooking and then you're taking photos of it. So like, did, were you really passionate about it? Were you just following your passion or was it something else? I think it was a little bit of both things. I think I had this urge to do something creative with my life at that point. And I think photography and food sort of fell into the same bucket together at the same time. I just happened to have a, a, a decent amount of skill in both. And it gave me the opportunity to grow into the role as someone who is really skilled in a kitchen and really skilled with a camera. And then in that process, I also learned how to be a producer, you know, and I think right. that that part of it is what I'm doing with my life now as a movie producer. And I have feature film coming out in, in the fall. I have a short film that's been out in festivals recently. You know, you mentioned that I've done some directing and, and other things in commercial work. Yeah. And all of that was born out of the production end of photography and cooking and like putting together these big projects. So I think, you know, you continue to grow and you follow the path um, and whatever seems to open up in front of you, you have to take advantage of. Like I had an opportunity to get involved with a film company um, mm -hmm. at the very beginning stages. And I went after it really aggressively because I figured this is another path for me to take. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times people feel that, oh, I'm not ready or I'm feeling um, like I need to learn more or I'm not quite at the point where I want to jump in yet. And I don't really believe in that philosophy. I really believe that if you feel like it's something you would like to try or like to do, you have to go after it as aggressively as possible because you just never know. Um, right. I think yeah. a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome. And honestly, mm -hmm. I'm, of the, I'm of the mindset of you fake it till you make it. So, uh, uh -huh. and if you put in the work, you know, and you make good relationships with people, um, I think that ultimately you can find that sort of path that takes you to something that you really enjoy doing it may not be the thing you thought you were going to do. I thought I was going to be an English professor. I thought really? I was going to be a writer. Yeah. Wow. Um, <clears throat> my mm -hmm. background is in literature. Um, I was very passionate about literature. I was very passionate about writing and uh, I wanted to be a teacher and I ended up a teacher, but I didn't end up the kind of teacher I thought I was going to end up. So like mm. it just happened yeah. that life sort of intersected with the things I wanted to do and I had to readjust my life, you know, in, in different ways. And that's happened to me, you know, three or four different times in my adult life. So if you think you know what your path is at 20, talk to me again when you're 30, talk to me again when you're 40, talk to me again when you're 50, because if that path is the same, that's unusual, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's just, you know, mm -hmm. develop your skills, develop your passions around things, but ultimately be open to the idea that things change and, you have mm. to be adaptable. Right. Gotcha. Um, so I think we spoke a lot about your successes, right? That, you know, the good things. Is there, sure. what about the failures? Can you speak a little bit to that, um, that you had to face throughout? Or was it just like a smooth path? You know, yeah. I think from a creative standpoint, it's been pretty smooth. I think the thing that okay. I found challenging, <clears throat> I think the thing I found challenging was battling myself, right? I, I have an okay. intense sort of presence 
I'm a bigger person. You know, like when I enter a room, I, I have a lot of presence. And I think that I had to learn that that was intimidating for people sometimes. And uh -huh. that I had to learn how to tone down my language. I had to learn to tone down my presence and be gentler and more uh, accessible in, in professional settings because I think that I wasn't seeing myself as I was being perceived. Um, being from the city, you know, it, you, you grow up and you know this being from Brooklyn, you, you uh -huh. bring an intensity with you that most people who are in New York um, among you don't see because we all have it, right? We all have this intensity about us when we're in a place mm -hmm. with eight people. Then all of a sudden you step out of that and you seem really intense comparatively. And I think that I didn't understand that in the early parts of my career. I was, you know, I think also I had a lot of success early on. So you get a little brash, uh, uh, you get a little full of yourself. And I think all yeah. of those things were big challenges for me to learn and learn how to navigate and become more accessible, become a little bit gentler, a little less intense. Um, and I think mm. that's really helped, you know, it's helped because I'm not naturally a confrontational person, but I think that sometimes when I would enter a room, people would misunderstand my intensity for conf confrontation. Mm. And I, I think it's about awareness, right? I think so as much as you can develop your skills, as much as you can um, hone your craft, sometimes the, the, the barrier is yourself right? Sometimes the barrier mm -hmm. is your persona or your personality or your demeanor uh, and how yeah. you bring yourself to the room. And uh, I learned a lot about myself in that process and it's made me better at my job. Wow. I see. And was this something that you were developing while you were developing the craft or was this like, let me develop the craft first and then like, I worry about everything else later, like the inner demon no. and stuff like that. I think it's simul I think it's simultaneous. I think you come across yeah. certain instances like, you know, I had a trouble with a client, right? Mm -hmm. And I got maybe I stepped outside of myself a little bit too much and got really aggressive with a client. And yeah. I realized that it was something I got away with, but it was also not helping. And it made me feel really badly about it. And then another time we had a sort of a catastrophic situation on a, on a commercial set mm -hmm. and I really lost my patience with my producer and I felt awful about it, you know, and I really had to, that one in particular, I really had to take a step backwards and say to myself, do I want to be that guy? Right. Do I want to be yeah. the guy who's like a diva, you know, who when stuff mm -hmm. goes wrong, you blame other people. And I was like, no, I don't want to be that guy. I need to own this, you know, and, and sometimes things are outside of your control and you need to be um, a problem solver, not mm. throw gas on the fire. So I think those were all kind of simultaneous things I learned in the, in the midst of developing all mm. of the different things I've done with, with my artistic craft. But, I, but those are the things I ultimately am most proud of. I think that when you talk to people who've worked with me, like similar to the question you you asked earlier about what people yeah. when I was young, what they would say about me, the mm -hmm. people who know me now would tell a very different story. They would talk about somebody who is open and accessible and kind. And, you know, before creative, talented or whatever, you know, I want right. people to, 
uh, acknowledge me as somebody who cares about other people first um, and then say, you know, and he was really good at his job too. So it's sort of reversed a little bit. Mm, gotcha. Man, that seems like a pretty big shift. How did you sort of adapt to that? Uh, I, you, do, you, work, you work on yourself. You know, you listen. You listen yeah. to people. You know, you take criticism uh, and, you, and you, instead of become um, defensive, which is, again, most of our sort of standard posturing, right? When people, you know, accuse you of something or people are yeah. critical of you, you know, naturally we take a very defensive posture. And I think that I, like most people, would do the same. Um, mm. I'm, I'm an emotional kind of person. But learning how to have discipline in those situations, like um, I, I, the yeah. things that I've, you know, gravitated towards in my adult life all require discipline, right? D mental discipline like martial right. arts or like, you know, I, I do Olympic weightlifting, which is one of the things I do when I'm not surfing, right? So those two things mm -hmm. that is what I do to keep healthy and fit. And both of those things require a tremendous amount of concentration and a tremendous amount of discipline. Because if you don't train, if you don't uh, constantly assess your weaknesses, constantly assess your, um, you know, your skill level and all of the things, you're not going to be good at them. And I think that is a metaphor for all of our lives, right? Is that if you're not constantly assessing who you are, how people perceive you, how you, you know, how it affects your job, how it affects your family life. Um, I think a lot of it is I can chalk up to maturity. You know, mm. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. an older person at this point. I have a child who's your, probably your age. And <laughs> I learned a lot through fatherhood. I learned a lot through failure, you know, personal failure, you know, Right. You, you know, uh -huh. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm divorced once, you know, you learn a lot from personal failure and you learn hopefully to correct the things that um, ultimately were the cause of your problems. Like, mm -hmm. yes, other people contribute to your problems, but you don't have to make it worse. Right. Mm. You, you can you have to do whatever you can do personally to fix a problem. Not all problems are fixable. But right. if you do the best you can and you surround yourself with people who hopefully do the best that they can, well, then most of the times you can work things through. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. So um, to that point, what was kind of like the conversation like between you, your family, your friends when you were building your career? Was it supportive or was it um, angry? <laughs> no, that's a great question because, you know, I come from a blue collar family. Uh, and everyone in my family were policemen, mostly the men. Oh, wow. And, um, I chose very early on that that wasn't my path. And I was sort of like the dreamer, the, the, the guy who had like his head in the clouds, you know, he wants to read yeah. books and he wants to whatever. And, and then I became a teacher and I had a nice career as a teacher and a coach. And I sort of fit in with the family sort of, you know, the flow of, of, you know, a teacher's you know, civil servant, it still works, you know, in the, in the, the, the midst of a blue collar family. And then when I quit my job and went to become a photographer full time, my family was just like, we don't get it. Like what, why would you leave a job where you have a pension and all these other things to, to chase this down when you don't know what's going to happen. And three years later, when I was buying property in Manhattan, you know, and, you know, doing things that, 
people from, who come from my neighborhood don't do financially, right. I think then all of a sudden people started to understand it. And then the, the latest phase of this is now they're all in business with me. You know, wow. my family members are now part of my production company. <laughs> my brother, who I'm exceptionally proud of, was um, a retired policeman who has been part of uh, the recovery efforts of 9-11, Hurricane Sandy. He just recently was mm. up in New York helping with COVID. He's an emergency management specialist. And his life to date couldn't be more different than mine. We look almost identical. We look like twins, even though we're two yeah. and a half apart. Uh, uh-huh. People who see us together are just completely freaked out, right? But about three years ago, I asked my brother and my father, and I said, listen, I'm going to produce this movie, and I'd like you to invest in the movie. And what do you think? And they were like, sure. Because now at this point in my life, they've, uh, I've engendered the trust in that right. I know what I'm doing in a creative world. And then on top of that, my father was in the movie. So wow. uh, my, my yeah. father actually plays a, a, a decent sized role in the movie that I produced. So it's, um, it's pretty interesting that, that that shift from the blue collar family not quite understanding what I do and what I'm about to now completely embracing it and being part of it. Wow, that's just amazing, wow. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story. I mean, my my dad and my brother in particular are both, you know, NYPD heroes. I mean, these guys have done incredible things in their career. You know, my dad caught a serial killer. My brother worked down at 9-11 during the entirety of the cleanup process. So, I mean, like these guys have done, you know, exceptional work uh, for for other people. And, um, And then... <clears throat> to have them engaged in my life this way is very rewarding. Mm, yeah. I can also see how uh, other people think you're intense if you come from that background. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, yeah. and being, you know, being 195 pounds with a bald head and a beard, you know, like I think sometimes people just misinterpret my physique too. Like as I've been an athlete my whole life, so I'm a fairly big yeah. person. And then I come in with this sort of, you know, bald head and these dark eyebrows and I'm like sort of, you know, bearing yeah. down on you. And I, I think that I had to kind of recognize that I just need to smile more in those situations because it puts people at ease. Like as if I walk in with just my regular face on or my game face, God forbid. Right. Um, <laughs> it's a very different, yeah. I get a very different reaction. Um, but when I come in and I smile and I laugh and I engage with people, it puts people at ease. And then my my presence or my, my, you know, what I look like ceases mm. to be an issue, <clears throat> but it absolutely can be an issue when you, yeah. you know, when you, um, when you're not aware of it. Mm. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of self-awareness. Yeah. I try. I mean, it's, you know, I listen to what people say, you know, when I talk to yeah. people about how they perceive me or, and I got people in my life that I trust and my wife is, particularly um, astute at pointing out the things that I don't do well. Um, uh-huh. And I, I try my best to listen uh, open-mindedly. Mm, that's awesome. Um, Andrew, what do you think was a price that you had to pay for your success? Was there any? Was it like time? Was it like relationships? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, time for sure. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. We spent, um, my wife and I, 
every vacation we took <clears throat> from 2005 until about five years ago for so about a 10 year stretch mm -hmm. we had to carry the camera gear with us and bring things oh, with wow. us to do the work so like yeah. I, I had no breaks for probably close to a decade where i was pretty much doing my regular assignments plus added assignments year round particularly from like 2007 to 2015 um, those eight years were so intense um, that I didn't wow. go to family functions very often. Uh -huh. I missed a lot of vacations. I missed a lot of parties, um, which I'm hopefully making up for now uh, once COVID is over, of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, at the time, dedication aspect of it were pretty heavy for a good stretch of my, the middle of my career. I think... Um, now it's in, it fits in spurts, right? I get a movie project, I'm gone for two months. You know, I get a right. commercial, I'm in, I'm in deep for two weeks or three weeks. So it's different now. But, um, and I use my time now very differently so that when I do have space in the schedule, um, I spend time with my family. I do things that I want to do. Um, I take care of myself, you know, <clears throat> I try to sleep better. I try to eat better um, because I know that when I'm in the middle of all that, I don't do those things. I don't see my family. Uh, I, don't, I don't eat right. I drink too much, right. I, you know, like I'm, you know, because I'm in that. Uh, so I try to make sure that when I'm not uh, that busy, uh, that I'm taking care of the things that will sustain me long term. Mm, gotcha. And would you have it any other way or you, you love what you're doing? Uh, I do love what I'm doing. I, I, I don't necessarily think of things in terms of what ifs um, uh -huh. quite yeah. often. I try to be as, um, I know that I try to plan out what I would like to do. I know where I'd like to be in a few years. Um, but yeah. again, a lot of that doesn't always hinge on me. I mean, like right now, sure. the difference between me working part-time or full-time as a film producer or television producer is really up to other people. Right. Mm -hmm. We have presented um, production companies and, and distribution partners with lots of work. Right. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of who's going to buy it, who's going to fund it and whether or not we're going to make it. Right. So it's a weird right. part of this. This new phase in my career is very different um, because it's so reliant on doing the work first and then hopefully somebody hires you to continue to do it. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is different than photography where they basically hire you to take the pictures, you take the pictures, you turn them in and you get paid. You know, it's very different. So I'm right. heavily invested in my film career, uh, both financially and um, emotionally and time wise. But, you know, where you have to be very patient. It's not a, it's not the kind of thing that happens overnight. Mm, gotcha. So Andrew, I'm very curious. Um, what do you see? Do you see something that most people don't see? And are you willing to share that? I mean, I can't speak for what other people see, but mm -hmm. I would say that um, I am very observant. Uh, I pay uh -huh. very close attention to detail. Uh, I always have. I'm also very empath empathic. Like I read people really well. Uh, I come into a right. room and I can tell who's uncomfortable and who's not and who's, you know, like I, I have a very good sense of being able to feel other people's um, feelings. And there are mm -hmm. people in the world who just 
I'm born that way. And I feel like I was definitely born a little bit more empathic than a lot of people. And I think it helps me. At first, when I was younger, it upset me because I would get upset mm. a lot because I would, I would right. read people and I could tell that they didn't like me or they were uncomfortable or they were sad or whatever. And it used to upset me. And I think now I realize it's a superpower is that yeah. people who can um, kind of feel the room have a much better chance of navigating it safely uh, than other people. And I think it's helped me um, uh, endear myself to people because I, I'm, I'm very sensitive to what other people are feeling. So like when I come into a room and I could sense that somebody's uncomfortable, I zero in on that person and try to make them feel comfortable. So mm. if I can see, if that's something that you perceive as I can see that other people can't see, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people like that uh, I just happen to be one of them. Wow. Amazing, man. <laughs> um, any closing thoughts? Like, would you like to share anything to someone listening who would like to follow in your footsteps or really dig what you're saying? I think <clears throat> I always tell people to work hard first and be nice. Uh -huh. Those two things are indispensable, but beyond that, um, yeah. I know that my path has been fortunate in a lot of ways, I caught a lot of breaks. Um, uh -huh. But I also also recognize that when opportunities have presented themselves to me, I did not shy away from them. I do not suffer from imposter syndrome. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that if you feel that you are doing the best you can to prepare yourself for whatever it is that you want, an opportunity yeah. presents itself to you, you have to be honest with yourself and then honest with the people who are offering the opportunity, but you also cannot shy away from those opportunities if, they're the, if the moment is right. So mm. I, I talk about this, I wrote about it in my book, is that when opportunity knocks on the door, you need to, you don't peek out, you kick it down, right? You have right. to go after those opportunities because they're not always going to happen for you. So like when an opportunity presents itself, you have to go after it aggressively. And I think that's the best advice I could give to younger people or people who are starting out in their career. And it doesn't necessarily mean you want to be a photographer, a writer, a producer like me. Mm -hmm. It might be that you want to be a podcaster or a journalist or a baseball player or any of these things. But the reality is if you continue to work hard, if you, if you continue to endear yourself to people, and then when those opportunities present themselves, that you go after them aggressively, you will have more success than not. If you didn't have time to take notes for this episode, get your full text summary, notes, and links, along with all of the top tips from this episode at unstoppablebusiness.com slash podcast.